All right. Well, we're going to get started. But let's turn our attention to what this morning is really always about. And it always begins with this. It begins with worship. God is looking not, you know, the Bible doesn't say God is looking for moral people. Though God makes us moral. He convicts us of sin and judgment and of righteousness. But God is looking specifically. He's seeking. He's searching. In the Old Testament, it says, for those whose heart is full towards him. But in John, it says, God is, Jesus said, God is seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. And we are, we are seeking to posture ourselves to be that people that worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's precipitated by the statement that God is spirit. And so we, as we begin today, if you don't know what that means to worship in spirit and truth, I just invite you to say to God this morning, say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, teach me how to worship in spirit and truth. Teach me to fill this need that you have that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, we want to just declare tonight, today, why don't you stand up with me? We want to declare that you are God, that there is none like you in all the earth. And we want to worship you today, not just with emotion, not just with our minds, not just with our strength, but with our spirit and our heart. We want to give you the glory that's due your name. Lord, we want to say you are great and greatly to be praised. So, Father, fill this place with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him. Just continue to worship. But as we're worshiping and singing, one of the things I believe God wants to do is to administrate his kingdom. You know, when the big storm came up over the Sea of Galilee and Jesus was praying, he got up and he imposed peace on the region by, by telling the storm to be quiet, to shut up, to stop, to halt. And I believe that is an admin, there's an administration of the kingdom of God that we bring peace. It says of the increase of peace, there will be no end. And a part of what we are called when, to do when we, when we make that connection with heaven is we're calling down the government of God. We're calling down the peace of heaven. First of all, for us to experience it, for our city to experience it. But there are times when then God says, now I want you to pray for other cities or other nations. And as I was standing here, I suddenly began to see different iconic images of the city of London in the UK. And I feel we need to pray right now for the peace of that city. I believe we, I believe there are, there are things that are planned, terrorist attacks of that plan. And I want us to just declare peace. And as we sing this song again, I want you to see the peace of God coming down like a blanket on London, England. I want you to picture iconic, whether it's the, uh, the eye or the, the tower bridge or, uh, or, or the tower of London or some of these, the, the London bridge, these, some of these iconic places. We just declare the peace of God. We say in the name of Jesus that everything that's rising up against the peace of God, everything that rises up in that city, 
to bring hatred, to bring division, to bring death and destruction. We say peace of God in the name of Jesus. We say let every terrorist plot be foiled right now. Let it unravel right now. Let it unravel right now. Let it be exposed right now. Like we say, let the God of peace be against the works of darkness in that city. Oh, Lord, release your love on the city of London. So this morning, uh, somebody sent me a link for a message that a pastor was giving. And it was a Sunday morning in the pastor, large church, and he was scheduled, of course, he's the pastor, he's got to go and he's got to preach. But he's hit his breaking point, and, and he's done. He is, his wife is in depression, she's collapsing, one of his kids is turned away from the Lord, the other two of his kids are, are messed up, and he's got to go to church, and he's like, I, I just can't do it. He's half-dressed. And he's like, I'm, I'm not going to church. And, uh, you know, all the questions hit him, you know, well, who's going to preach? And, uh, you know, you're, you're the pastor. I don't care. I, I don't care. I just don't care. I just don't have the energy to do anything else. And then he begins to talk about how his father-in-law calls him and begins to pray and make declarations over him. And he says to him, he says, all you have to do today is put one step in front of another, and God will be there to give you strength. And I feel like there's maybe people here today that, that you're, you're at that place where you're, you're not sure that you can make it. And a part of the problem is that we bring into today all of the woes of tomorrow, all of the worries and all of the current concerns of a week, a month, a year. Some of us are thinking of five and ten years down the road, and the, the, the cascading effect of all that burden is, is on our lives. But Jesus said, sufficient for the day are the cares thereof. In other words, listen, stop trying to fix tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Just do and think about what needs to be done today. Just today. Just today. Every, every day of your life thus far, because of the fact that you are here, reveals the fact that you've made it through every other day. Because you are here today. So yesterday and the day before and every other stressful moment of every other year or every other month doesn't matter because you are here today. And that is a testament of the grace of God and the strength that God can provide for the moment. For the moment. Where's Murray? Murray, can you come and share that story? I'll remind you which one it was when you're asking for peace to, to, to go in and Say, talk to your boss. Uh, so I was going to quit my job. I had this a long time ago, but I was at this job for 11 years, and I was going to quit this job, and I was going to move to Las Vegas and work with a boxer. And uh, so it was kind of a crazy idea, but I remember praying about it and saying, okay, God, when you give me peace, I'll go in and I'll talk to my boss. And so a day went by and nothing. I was just anxious, and then another day went by, and... And a week had gone by, and I was kind of running out of time to give him notice that I wanted to do this thing. And I just, 
there was just no peace. And so finally I was like, okay, it's D-Day. So I went and knocked on his door and I said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? He said, sure. So I come in, I shut the door. And as soon as I shut the door to this office, peace. And so I spoke to him. It was great. Everything worked out. And then when I left, I was like, okay, God, what was that about? And he said, well, you really didn't need peace wandering the hallways. You didn't really need it out there. You got it when you needed it. So. And that's, that's the thing. You, you're going to get the supply in the moment. And sometimes, you know, we, we want God, we want courage for tomorrow today. We want courage for next week today. We want, we want courage for next year today. And God says, sufficient for the day. I'm going to give you what you need today. And so I want to make a declaration over you right now. Father, we declare that your grace is sufficient for the day. Your, your strength is sufficient for this day. And so, Lord, we declare in the name of Jesus, we will drink from the fountain. We will drink from the well for this day, and we will be satisfied. And we will not think that we have lost or been cut short or we're lacking anything because we will make it through today, and tomorrow will take care of itself in the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. But I want to share a little something. Uh, this last week, I published an article on, uh, on the watchmanchronicle.com, and I called it Atheism, Atheism, the New Idolatry. And if you haven't read that, I would encourage you to read it, because many of us were facing this scenario where we're getting beat down with sort of arguments around atheism, and people are being called to, to prove God and, 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 and. And I, I won't go too much into the theme of the article, but basically what I present, and I'm going to touch on some of these aspects today, is this, is that atheism is just another word for idolatry. And what had happened, somebody had been sharing uh, with an unsaved person, they said, well, I'm an atheist. And as they got talking, they actually discovered that the person wasn't exactly an atheist, Rather, what they, what they believed is that they, they could not swallow, they could not believe the concept of the Christian God. So they didn't necessarily not believe in, in a God, just that this one was not in line with their thoughts about what a God should be. And in that idea right there is the heart of what idolatry is. The heart of idolatry is men create gods according to their own idea. That's what idolatry is. Man has a concept or an idea of what God should be like and creates something according to that. Uh, it used to be, in its simplified form, it used to be little you know, wooden carvings overlaid with silver or gold. But it's essentially, it's a man-birthed concept. And if you go to Isaiah, 60, uh, Isaiah 2, verse 8, it says it's talking about idolatry. And it says, it says their land is full of idols. And, he, and there's this statement, and it characterizes what the heart of idolatry is. It says, they worship the works of their own hands, the things that their hands have made. And I want to just say today that if you are a Christian and you are here today, one of the things that God is doing as he's bringing you from less faith to greater faith, as he's bringing you to a place of increasing your capacity to worship him in spirit and truth, what he's doing is he's shifting your confidence from the things that you, have, you can make to the things 
that he can make, which is beginning with himself. Worship, and the the chief nemesis of worship is idolatry. And just because we don't necessarily bow down to an idol doesn't mean we don't have a special regard for the things our hands make. And so there is this transition happening in our lives today where God is uh, confronting our hearts and freeing us from idolatry. Anyway, we could talk a lot about that. I would recommend you read 1 John. 1 John, the whole book, whether you know it or not, is all about idolatry. And um, anyway, I won't qualify that. I'll just throw it out there. If anybody has a desire to read God's Word, read 1 John. But for now, let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. And as you're turning, I'm going to pray. God, we ask for the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of you. God, we ask that you would unveil your word for us today. Lord, that the power for um, increasing life within us and bringing freedom to our minds and our emotions, God, that's contained within your word. Lord, we ask that you would unlock it for us today. Lord, unlock it for us today in the name of Jesus. Now, let me read this story. It's a great little story. You've heard it before. It's about uh, Cain and Abel. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. I'll start reading right there, but there's, uh, there's some actually amazing parts of this. What I love about this is that what you have in this moment in the life of Cain and Abel, what you have is almost a dichotomy of the two forms of worship that are in the earth. One is idolatry and one is true worship. And uh, in this story, what we have is God's perception of the value of one against the other and how he will always accept the one and reject the other. And so um, I'll try not to get ahead of myself here. There's, there's so many great things in, the, in this story, but let me go back to the beginning because we need to see something about this. It says that uh, Abel was a keeper of sheep and t- Cain was a tiller of the soil. And over time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering and Abel brought an offering. So they're both bringing an offering. What does that tell us? They both believed in God, right? They both believed in God. They, they had a faith. They obviously had, they had some kind of desire to please God. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't have bothered, right? They weren't agnostic. They weren't atheists. They weren't denying the presence of God. They were, they were deciding, okay, I'm going I'm to bring this thing to God. You think, you'd, you'd think that God would just be happy, right? You think God, you know, sometimes we do that. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we are quick to, res, to reward the smallest thing because, you know, the, the alternative is not believing in God at all. And so, you know, what is it? Isn't it just enough that they have a, a, a belief in God? No. It's a, see, one of the things we need to realize if we're going to change this culture and change this nation and bring people into not this just a vague idea that there is a God and we should honor him, but God is very distinct in who he is. And if we are going to worship him, we have to worship him according to who he is and not according to our mm, various opinions of what he should be. Not, not in terms, we, we, and, and this is the idea, that a general affinity for God is not enough to please the heart of God. And there's something right now I want to I pray against, because there is something in us, especially as moms and dads, okay? Sometimes I've, I, I notice that we set the bar really low, you know? And it's, it's kind of like this. When I was in <clears throat> going to school, I had friends who dropped out of school, and um, and I remember the difference in the attitude of the parents of those kids versus my parents. My parents had this expectation that I would graduate from school. When we talked about school, there was never an option. There was never an attitude. There was never an opening that you could just opt out, you know, that I may not make it. It was just... It was not, it did not even enter into the equation. It didn't enter into my parents' imagination. So because it didn't enter into their imagination, it did not enter into mine. But these other kids, it seemed like the parents had set the bar, you know, I hope they finish high school. You hope they finish high school. You're the adult here. You're the parent. You set the bar. You set the expectations. But their expectations for their kids was, was fearful. And it was like, well, you know, I don't want to put too much pressure. I don't want to put too many expectations because my kids might hate me. Well, I started noticing that the kids that hated their parents was the ones that had the lowest expectations. I started noticing that the, the, the parents who did not discipline their kids for fear that their kids would not like them had kids who hated the parents. And I remember my, my dad was a authoritarian. I mean, he was, he was hard. He was difficult. He repented later for how harsh he was, particularly to my older brother, Michelle, who's, who's always on in vacation in California right now. But, but regardless of how harsh he was, there was a respect. And I remember kids talking about their parents, how much they hated their dads. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I get annoyed. I, I don't want to do everything. And, you know, my parents sometimes squelch me, and I feel like, oh, I want more freedom. But I never, I could never talk like they were talking. You know, sometimes I just feel like punching my dad in the face. I wonder why. It's like, whoa, whoa. So, now, I'm not here to talk about parenting, per se. Because uh, we all make mistakes and everything. But there's something about fear. There's something about the lowering of the bar. There's something about our expectations 
around what worship should look like. You know, if we're going to raise children or if we're going to disciple people into becoming worshipers of God, there has to be a bar and we have to be unapologetic about what that bar is. Why? Because God deserves what he deserves. He is the glorious one. He is, he is who he is, and the whole earth should worship him. And, you know, and this idea that, well, you know, they're, they're not really, you know, they're not able to humble themselves. Well, they're not able to, to really worship God, or they're not able to really give. I'm thinking, that needs to be confronted. What is that thing? What is that thing that's so humiliating about worshiping God? Whatever that is, we need to get rid of it because it is a barrier. And so right here, some people would look at this and say, Cain and Abel, well, you know, well, yeah, yeah, he tried. It's the thought that counts, right? It's the thought that counts. He meant well. No, he didn't. He didn't mean well. Not according to God, anyway. Do you think God would really punish Somebody, well, it, it, it's just, you know, he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong, and he made an effort, and, you know, we should just, you know, they're there now. God didn't do that. And why didn't he do that? Because God sees things clearly. God sees things clearly. And we, we don't know exactly what instruction Adam and Eve were given. We don't know what instruction that they gave uh, Cain and Abel, but clearly... There was a right way to do this and a wrong way to do that. And God was not sheepish about saying, I reject this offering. I accept this offering. So why is it we're so afraid? Why is it men are so intimidated? Well, you know, they're coming to church. Is that it? Is that it? You know? You know well, Cain, you know, he... He has a belief in God. Let's leave him alone. Like, let him do it his way. No, 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 no. This is the problem. The, the barrier to true worship is us wanting to do it our way. And what you find in the heart of the atheist is I can't worship a God who dot, 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 fill in the blank. I can't worship a God who allows this to happen. I can't worship a God who would go in and slaughter a nation of people. I can't worship a God who would do this or this or this. Well, then you don't understand what's at stake. You think, well, why, why would God bring Israel to slaughter a whole nation? Because God understands sin. God understands something you don't understand. God understands that when sin comes and grips the minds and the hearts of a generation, there comes a a place in the evolution of that civilization where there is no turning back. And every child born from that time forward has no hope of ever coming to the knowledge of God or serving him. So what is more merciful? For God to let a million more of those people be born into this culture that is doomed or cutting it off? so that no more are born into damnation. You see, this concept that's out there, this idea of God being punitive and being angry and being judgmental and being all those things, let me tell you, he might be being judgmental. And he may get angry at times, but at his core, he is love. And everything he does is for the betterment 
It is for the improvement of society. It is for the improvement of you, for your sake. And what God did with Cain here, he said, Cain, for your sake, for your sake, I am not going to receive your offering. We need to understand that when God does things like this, he knows what he's after. He says, and this is what, this is, we're going to get into this a little more. He's, he's looking at Cain, he's saying, Cain, there's something in you that offends me. And I'm going to get at it. Now, if you will let me, I'll get at it. We'll deal with it. And you will get the same approval that your brother Abel got. But as we see, Cain really didn't go that way, did he? No, he didn't. Now, just for a second here, let's, let's think of what, what could Cain have been thinking that would cause him to give an offering to God that he must have known on some level that's not what God asked, right? Because you look at all the rest of that, God demands, right, a, 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 a lamb. So Abel brings the sacrifice of a lamb, and so there must have been some information out there that, but Cain must have thought, well, you know what? That's fine for Abel. He takes care of animals, uh, that's not what I do. I do vegetables. I want to bring God vegetables. I want to bring God something for the earth, something that, that I've produced. I've put my heart into this. I have, I have labored and tilled the ground, and I've sweated. And, and these carrots, they're a manifestation of my sweat and my equity. And God says, that's the problem. You're worshiping me with the works of your own hands. You're worshiping me in a way that you think counts, and you are dismissing what I've already said counts to me. In other words, you're saying this. You're saying, Cain, that you got a better idea. If I were God, I would accept all sacrifices because it's the thought that counts. You hear what we're, What is that? Well, uh, yeah, but it, he, he meant well. No! He didn't mean well. This was a manifestation of rebellion. It is the thing that is sending people to hell. We need to understand this. Rebellion is not something you toy with. It's not something you play with. It is, in Samuel, it says, rebellion is as witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity. Now, you may not, you might play with rebellion in your heart and not deal with it, and you may not become, you know, a witch, or, you know, you may not go down that line, but you have nurtured something, you have kept something, you have held something in you that God is after, God is trying to destroy. Now, what does this have to do with New Testament Christianity? Isn't that the Old Testament? Yeah. But let me tell you, everything that God is wanting to accomplish in the heart of man in the Old Testament, he's wanting to accomplish in the heart of man in the New Testament. Let's look at a couple of passages. I'm not sure which one I want to read first. But, um, all right, so turn to 1 John 3.12. Now, you don't have to turn to this one. I'm going to read John 16.8. And this is what John 16.8 says. And when he has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And part of what we want in our lives, if we are Christians, we are asking God to convict us concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that word convict 
might be a little uh, disconcerting or confusing or ambiguous in this scenario. But it's basically saying this, to reveal, to show, to clearly set out what one thing is over another. So he's trying, the Holy Spirit is coming to show us what sin is. Show us what righteousness really is. That's why it says, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What what we are doing is we're trying to find out, God, I want to know what real righteousness is. I don't want to actually be in a situation where, well, God, I did this thing and, and you're not receiving me and you're not blessing me and you anointed, you know, that person's worship and you anointed that person's work and I'm doing this for you and you're not receiving it. And, and God is saying, listen, you don't understand what sin is and you don't understand with righteousness is. If that was righteousness, I would receive it. Maybe why don't you give me the benefit of the doubt that maybe there's something in what you're doing that isn't quite up to par and let me parse that thing out. Let me, let me reveal that and pull that thing out of you so you're not doing your own thing and thinking you're doing my thing. That is mercy. And when God said to Cain, listen, you may think that was for me, but that wasn't for me. That was for you. You, by giving me the fruit of your labor, are exalting yourself. And that's not really what worship is. I think we'd have to say amen, right? So God is saying here, you're here. You've begun this journey. But this journey is light is increasing in your life, and I'm coming to your life. And I want to make you a brilliant manifestation of my glory and my presence. But I want to take out of your life those things that offend. And the things that offend that are at the core of your heart are all the ways you want to glorify yourself. So if something's not working, if I'm not accepting, well, you know, I don't know what's wrong with this church. I'm at least as anointed as everybody else, and they had never asked me to preach. Well, yeah. I don't understand why these people doesn't give me the mic on a Sunday and let me get up and and pray my anointed prayers. I have the most anointed prayers there are. Okay. We we, we harbor these attitudes of superiority. And, and, you know, we think it's only a matter of time before the church is going to come around. Most of the people who leave the church and are angry at the church and, and are, you know, the church isn't perfect, but most of the people who leave the church is not because the church is so bad but because their offering was not accepted. Because their offering was not, well, I did this and nobody, da, 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 da. Could it be that God is at work in our lives to sift out and free us so that we can glorify him? You know, because, and this is what, when God was dealing with this in my heart, and and let me tell you, this is not just a few of us that God is doing this for. When this was happening in my life, and things weren't going well, and I thought, I don't understand. Why is it, why is that guy getting the nod, and I'm not getting the nod? And the Lord says, first of all, never mind him. He's my servant, not yours. Secondly, I've told you again and again and again, Mark, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. So you're doing this thing. It's not overcoming even the church, never mind the world. And, and you're wondering, well, you're doing it wrong. And the Lord said, no, you are doing it wrong. Yeah, I don't like that message. I feel more comfortable in believing that everybody else is wrong and they're just not in a position to see how right I am. (laughs) Anybody ever done that? Yeah. God is saying, listen, that's the thing I'm trying to kill. 
That's the thing that's stealing life from you. That's the thing that's pulling away from your your effectiveness as a child of God. That's the thing that's diminishing your worship because you're busy regarding yourself, acknowledging yourself, looking for others to acknowledge you, and I've just called you to acknowledge me. How much energy, Mark, do you spend trying to get people to acknowledge what you're doing for me? Don't you think that's a bit of a waste if... If I, if I receive your sacrifice, you'll have praise before men. So don't worry about whether men are, do or do not. So anyway, I've gotten a little, a little lost. But let's go back to where I was taking us because there's a very clear criteria here. God is trying to reveal to us what is the core of sin. And the core of sin is self-indulgence where I want to do what I want to do, and I want everybody else to acknowledge it the same way everybody else is getting acknowledged. In other words, there's a song that was written, you know, everybody wants to rule the world. Hey, that's, that's, that's true. Okay, so let's turn to, over here to 1 John. Um, 1 John chapter 3, love this. And I'm, I'm going to wrap this up in a couple minutes, so if I'm boring you, just, you know. Okay. Now, it's very important because if we are going to be part of advancing the gospel, if you are trying to evangelize people and get them saved, we need to understand what it is God is after in their lives. Because it's not just to get them, well, you know, just pray the prayer, just pray the prayer, quick, just pray the prayer, in Jesus' name, ah, good, you're in. No, 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 no. That's a start of something whose end is much greater than a prayer. It is about bringing every knee to bow. You know, it's like there's a million little knees in your heart, and some of them are still standing up. In 1 John chapter 3, I love this message. And now hear this, verse 11. For this is the message... Oh, well, okay, this is important. John is summarizing the gospel, the message. What is God's intention? This is the message that you heard from the beginning that you should love one another. Oh, okay, all right, all right, okay, that's good. I think I do that. Yeah, here's the thing, though, but you can't love one another. You you can only love others as much as you're not loving yourself. I mean, you know, being self-indulgent. As long as you're looking for recognition, for honor, for blessing, and you know, acknowledgement, and, and praise, and, 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 all of those parts of your heart that are looking for that are not able to give because they're too busy receiving. That's the way the heart works. So what does he say? Well, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, who murdered his brother. Oh, wow. Uh, here's, the, here's the rub. Look at the next part. And why did he murder him? Because his works, Abel's work, sorry, Cain's works were evil and his brother's righteous. Why did Cain murder Abel? Because he couldn't handle the truth. He couldn't handle the truth when God said, this offering I will accept and this offering I will not. And something in Cain rose up that, no, what I'm doing is at least as good as what he's doing. And, and Cain is, thinks, man, this is so unfair. 
This is so not right. I worked even harder than him. How much sweat did he do? Like, you know, it was the other sheep who did that. He didn't even do anything. Me, I had to work. I, I, car- I carried that water, you know, half a kilometer and, and water that garden every day. I did this. I did this. And that's the issue. I did this, and I will get my pound of blood. I will get my acknowledgement. This is not right. So what, why does his anger go towards Abel? Because righteous deeds cause evil deeds to be seen for what they are. I remember years ago, I had this, uh, I run into people all the time, and people who were disgruntled at the church. And you know what? A lot of bad things happen in the church. A lot, of, a lot of bad things have happened to me. A lot of people have lied about me and hated me and all kinds of those things. What causes offense is not people doing bad things, but people doing good things. And I'll read the next scripture, and you're going to see what, I, what I'm talking about. But what the same thing that caused Cain to want to kill his brother is the same thing that provokes. And it's, this, is a, this is a kingdom eternal principle. Better works cause lesser works to appear what they are. That's why, the, that's why the, the Pharisees hated, hated Jesus. They wanted to kill him. They said, for what good deed am I being killed here? <laughs> you know, which of my good deeds are you killing me for? Is it healing the sick, raising the dead? No, but because you're making yourself as God. In other words, you're making us look bad. New guy on shift comes to work, and he's working twice as hard as everybody else. Like, slow down, man. You're making us all look bad. The guy doesn't slow down. Everybody hates him. Why? Because he's a good worker. Because he's a bad worker? No, because he doesn't understand the corporate climate we're trying to nurture here. He's not one of the team not getting with the program. You see how evil can be called good and good can be called evil? Why? Because that's, that's that thing in there. That mm, I hate that line that God is drawing. I hate that line. I hate it. And see, sometimes what happens when we're raising kids or when we're discipling others is we sympathize with other people's hatred of the bar that God is drawing in our lives. And that's why we don't call them to it. That's why we're fearful that they'll leave because we have held back for the very same reason. And we don't want to see that happen to others, but inadvertently what we do is that very thing. Let's go to John. Remember a few, a few months ago I was talking about how John wrote about things that none of the other disciples wrote about? I love John. John, John saw the depth. John saw the heart. John saw the why. That's why I love so much John's revelation. That's, this is the, it's, my, it's, it's my tribe, so to speak, because I love finding out why. I mean, I drove my... My mentors and my Bible teachers crazy. I said, well, why? 
Why is this? Well, why is that? You know, every time they'd say something, I wasn't sure that was good. Why, why is that? I'd say, well, I don't know. It just, just is. Just accept it. Yeah, but why? Why would God do that? Well, he's got a really good reason. Okay, now, so we have this great passage, right? 1 John 3.16. Anybody know what that says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Woo! Verse 17. So it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Now, this is verse 19 and 20, and 21, memorize them, these verses. Don't read it yet. Wait, wait for me. Wait for me. Let's do this together. Okay. These verses are the, are the defining line for what God wants to do in your life. They're, these are the things that God wants. He wants to draw a line in the sand of your life and say, listen, live up to this. Now, you remember when I was... Uh, Remember John, it says the Holy Spirit will come and convict you concerning judgment, sin, and righteousness. Sin and righteousness are on the one side, and judgment is God's ability to separate or evaluate or reward according to the essence of the either or the or. And the Holy Spirit is coming to show you what he's going to reward and what he isn't going to reward. What he's going to judge, what is judged already, what is already condemned, and what is worthy of the nod of heaven. You know what I mean by the nod, right? It's like, I accept that offering. I accept your ministry. I accept your service. This is what it says. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The children of God who really want to honor God come to him continuously to be examined by the light. Come, are not afraid of the light. Well, you know, I didn't have good authority figures in my life, and I'm afraid. I don't trust. Well, okay, there you go. So that's where the darkness is hiding, right there. So let's fix that by you never coming to the light or never, uh, never coming under authority or never honoring him as your father. Is that your solution here? Everyone who wants and loves righteousness comes to the light, comes to the light, comes to the light. And I don't know what it is that creates this disposition. I think I was greatly helped because I had a parent, a father and a mother, parents, who disciplined me. And and there's something about when a parent disciplines you that it postures you to be able to receive the discipline of your heavenly father. And uh, we can go into that a lot. But but there's there's been something... In me, and I was fearful like everybody else, and I wasn't sure. And I and I remember when God, you know, all the times when I was in condemnation and fear and all kinds of things, and God came and showed me, you know, that that thing. You don't need to feel that way. I'm not. I'm not punitive. I'm not against you. I'm not. And God had to establish all that in me. But 
my life largely has been a relentless report card. God over and over and over and over. He even uses my wife sometimes. Yep. Sometimes he uses some of you. But I am, I am saying to God, I want the light. I want you to shine. I want every bad attitude. I want, you know, and, and God has been doing that. He's been exposing the, the smallest things. You know, sometimes you, you, you're, you're just going through life and all of a sudden you realize this undercurrent of, of criticism against me. What, what is that? Why am I thinking like that? I, I don't want to think like that. Good. I don't want you to think like that either, he says. Just repent. And then even when I, well, we're doing this, we're preaching the gospel, we're doing this ministry, and da-da-da-da. And he comes back and he says, okay, that ministry you did, mm, you know, you think it's really great. Yeah, well, oh, it was really great. It's all you, all you. Well, maybe it wasn't all me. Maybe it wasn't all for me. Will you be willing for me to expose that, that work to my light? And he says, actually, it doesn't even matter whether you're willing. Because I'm doing it, whether you know it or not. Furthermore, the day is going to come when all of your works will be judged by my light. The judgment seat of Christ. And everything that is wrought in me, whether wood, hay, stubble, or bronze, silver, gold, everything will be tried. And it says the day will declare it. In other words, the day will make it clear exactly what that thing is. Mark, wouldn't you, rather, wouldn't you rather know now? What if I could come in the privacy of our interchange as you come to me and say, God, I really want to know. What if I could do that before that day so that you could have boldness in that day? What if, would you let me do that now? You see, there's this thing, in, and it, it is a symptom of that, that orphan spirit that causes us to be unable or unwilling to come to him because we really don't believe that he loves us. We don't really believe that we are accepted in his presence. We don't, there's that fear, and to the degree that it's the fear, we want to cover up what might be wrong. And if it starts to be exposed, something in us starts to panic. Or we start to say, how can we... You know, the anger, the rage that Cain had, that that guy got rewarded and I didn't. That guy got a promotion, I didn't. That guy is getting favor in the body of Christ and I'm not. I'm That anger, the anger itself is evidence that something stinks in Denmark. I don't even know what the quote was, but... And this is what God is saying, listen... I want to come to the fridge of your life and I want to open up and I want to search out the rotting foods and get rid of them because it stinks. And God is looking at our lives and saying, I love you, I love you, but there's things hiding in little dark corners I want to get rid of. And if you let me, I'll do that. And the things that I, your anger against others, your offense against others, is the evidence that there's something in you. Let me say that again. Your anger at others, like Cain, is the evidence that there's something in you because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, these things come. 
if you didn't have the capacity to think evil, you wouldn't think evil. So let's stop right there. Father, I want to thank you that you are convicting the world concerning judgment. You're convicting the world concerning sin. You're convicting the world concerning righteousness. And we don't want to be like Cain. We don't want to be the ones to shrink back at the light, at your judgment. When you say, this is what I honor, Lord, we want to be people that say, yes, sir, and come right up to that, that are, that are confident that we are sons, we are not excluded, we are accepted in the beloved. And we want to be princes in your presence, prepared to be kings, to rule and reign with you forever as you would rule and reign yourself. So, Lord, we give you permission again. Come into our lives with as much light as we need. And we know that you won't give us more than we can handle. So we bless your name. We say you are a righteous God. Amen.